windows. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nothing spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Monday, another edition of Santos and the Sidekick. A lot to talk about, especially the game against the Furman Paladins. We'll break down that contest. Here's some post-game comments from head coach Randy Sanders. Pros versus uh, Jays. And then, of course, even maybe the worst segment of all time we've ever come up with. Bold prediction. We make them. We just don't get them right. I'm feeling pretty good about how things went. I don't know where you're coming from. Yeah, you're garbage. I mean, you can be mad about it, but... It's not going to change the fact that my superiority is once again showing itself very early on in bold predictions as it did last year. I'll just have to come from behind as usual. You will. Yeah. Although my long-term bold predictions are looking pretty good as well, considering Oakland and Cleveland, teams I never thought I would be rooting for, but now I am jumping on board with because of my bold prediction for the long term with the NFL. Mm-hmm. Both look pretty good yesterday. Uh, Oakland and Cleveland, maybe. <sighs> Pittsburgh makes its comeback tonight. Okay. Get that first win. You have to have All one right. win before you have ten. <laughs> That's right. Or one nine. foot in front of the other. Or seven. Right? Or one. All right, let's talk about the game, Furman. Obviously, you, uh, defensive struggle, and uh, Furman came in with a lot of momentum, especially uh, on the offensive end, and being able to, to get a lot of yards, a lot of chunk plays, and scoring. I mean, averaging uh, you know right around 35 points per contest, and ETSU holds them to 17 points, holds them to a season low and about everything, 268 yards total offense. 97 yards passing, 171 yards rushing. ETSU actually beat them in about every statistical category except for the one that counted, uh, which is uh, obviously um, the final score, 17-10. And the Buck defense finally gave up uh, points off turnovers, which they had not done all season as well. But Furman picks up the 17-10 win, and it, it was there for the taking, sort of like the VMI game, uh, Mike. It just uh, – not enough plays when it counted for the Bucks. Well, to me, this game was more like the Wofford game last year. And I said that during halftime on the highlight package. You know, you had the kind of dominance early from the home team last year, Wofford, this year, Furman. Then you had the sudden change with the turnover. Now, last year against Wofford, it was a Tyree Robinson recovery in the end zone of a fumble on a sack. Looked like it was going to be a safety, then ended up being a touchdown. And then you also had a field goal as ETSU put together kind of their best drive, definitely to that point, maybe the entire day. Went down, got a field goal. It was 17-10, to 10, and you felt like you got dominated for the first 25 minutes, and that was last year against Wofford. This year against Furman, things started to maybe turn a bit earlier. Of course, you had the DeLuca pass, which uh, was a beautiful one from Darren Granger. Then you had the Atkins field goal uh, early in the second quarter, and it was 10 to nothing. and you even said it on the broadcast, something – has to change you know things are just kind of snowballing a bit right now you got to make a play and leave it to the defense of course to be able to do that 
they get the Artavius Smith, who has been just on fire the last two games, by the way, defensively. The Artavius Smith hit and fumbled. Jason Maduofakwa, good to have him back. He gets the fumble recovery in ETSU, given a short field, four plays, 42 yards in a buck 50. Cameron Lewis, after a big Quay Holmes run, punches it in. So that first half really did remind me of the Wofford first half and then a little bit in the second half as well in the sense that you had just mistakes mistakes and mistakes and mistakes and last year it was a couple of turnovers a penalty uh, I believe it was a roughing the punter penalty um, that really hurt ETSU uh, in that game that led to a Furman touchdown and then some turnovers and things of that like in the Furman game you had the Jacob Sailors fumble now you got the ball right back because once again uh, Artavia Smith in the right spot and and then you had later on the interception from Trey Mitchell that of course effectively ended the game but really the big thing to me was Garrett Taylor had that punt that gave Furman a short field and like Randy Sanders said well here in segment number two just kind of got field position to death in the second half that 34 yard punt leading to kind of a 50-50 ball thrown up by Granger somehow Ryan DeLuca makes a play and that's kind of the ball game. I actually misspoke. ETSU did not give up points off turnovers again for the whole season, considering the minus of four interceptions so far ETSU uh, has thrown, and they've lost four fumbles. So eight times teams have been given uh, a chance to capitalize and have not been able to do that. And it seems like every week some somebody's getting uh, – the opposing team's getting to punt at midfield <laughs> and being able to keep uh, – ETSU uh, down and I think ETSU starting field position I, I think it was only three times uh, minus the turnover I think it was only three times he started outside the 25 yard that's right so uh, and uh, you know and again they, they had the one time in the plus which was on the turnover and they were able to put that in for touchdowns yep. but but other than that it's very difficult right now the way the Bucks are offensively, they're just not built to go 75, 80 yards, and really not a lot, a lot of offensive are because ETSU did not have, and neither team did really, have a lot of chunk plays in this one. I think ETSU have been averaging about um, 10 or 12 chunk plays per game, and then just taking a quick glance, they had five of them. They had a couple of pass plays for 18 and 21 yards. They did have a couple of big runs from Quay Holmes of 26 and 23 yards, but they had five chunk plays, and they were averaging uh, uh, 12.3 chunk plays per game. So Furman did a good job of stopping those chunk plays. And in the same token, Furman, who was known for chunk plays, now they did have a few more, but that's really because a chunk play on the ground is 10 yards. They had three carries of 10 yards. So that counts as chunk plays. And they had a 30 and 15 yard. And then they had a 15 and that 40 yard pass, which was really sort of the backbreaker uh, just because everything that happened, the quarterback almost fell down. The Bucks almost got to him. Then the ball's well underthrown. If the ball's thrown where it's supposed to be, Jeremy Lewis has actually got great coverage um, and a lot of credit for just. And that's really what Granger does. He just throws it up there and gives people an opportunity to make a play. In the same token, he did that and also threw an interception late in the game that kept the Bucks in it. Yeah, that was a silly, silly throw. Uh, and again, Artavia Smith. I, I loved my favorite moment of the game was, and you called it on the broadcast too, you watched the replay, and Tyree Robinson's got his right hand raised in oh, the air, so celebrating funny. before Artavia Smith even makes the catch. He knows that that's an interception. And that's Art Smith's second in as many games. And then, of course, he also had the big hit and force fumble too. So he's been really leading by example on that defense right when ETSU has needed someone to step up with some of the injuries that they have had specifically to Tyree Robinson and Jason Maduofakwa. Both of those two played this past week, which was good. And I think you saw the impact that they can make. I mean, it was a total 
team defensive effort. But going back to that field position point, I mean, you can only do so much as a defense when the opponent's facing a short field time and time again. I mean, look at the last four drives for Furman. And impressively, I think, uh, they still only got one score on them. They took over at the 49. Of course, that was the poor punt by Taylor, 34 yards. And you get the touchdown. Basically, all 51 of those yards came on that 40-yard completion from Granger to DeLuca. Then ETSU's 37. And you get the interception right after the Sailors fumble. And then Furman's own 42, and then Furman's own 49. I mean, that's an average starting field position of, like, almost exactly midfield. And for ETSU, on their last four drives, they took over on their own 18, 25, 5, and 13. And you look at what they were able to do with a shorter field. We talked about only three times they started outside their own 25. You had the four-play, 42-yard, buck 50 touchdown in the second quarter after taking over on Furman's 42. Then you had five plays, 33 yards. That's still a pretty decent drive. It ended in a punt, but you're making some headway in flipping field position. And then eight plays, 46 yards after taking over on the 37 for the field goal. So all 10 of your points came when, shockingly, right? I mean, I'm not breaking news to people here, but when you were able to work with a shorter field, didn't have as far to go. So it was a big point in the game, you know, that you have to make sure that you recognize that field position matters. And when you're not able to flip the field, when you're not able to, and Coach Sanders will hear in our second segment, he kind of blames both sides of the ball. Like defense, you know, you got to make a stand, get a takeaway. I thought they did that really well, more often than not. And then offense, you just got to put some drives together. And while they weren't going three and out a lot, ETSU, they still weren't able to, once again, you get around that midfield point. It's like the, the offense almost starts to press. Or I'm not sure what the mental block is about midfield, but it seemed like consistently this year they've had some trouble once working into opponent territory. I think when the game got tied and everything got going, I think everybody was sort of afraid, you know, to to make a mistake. The one thing I would say, I was shocked that there was only three penalties in the game, period, is what we've been seeing. And it seemed like uh, the officials at one point just went with, you know, this pretty good game, unless something's really egregious, let's let's don't end. To be honest, there were two uh, pre-snap. No, uh, let's take it back. There was one pre-snap penalty on a false start. Uh, Donovan Manuel uh, clearly jumped off sides, and the Sear player, if there ever was a true definition of a face mask, got that. <laughs> and that's your three right. penalties. I mean, there wasn't a tweener call out there. There wasn't a tweener uh, holding call. There wasn't a tweener, you know, pass interference. And at some point, it was just like, okay, these, these, these got some grown men out here playing. Let's just. Let's get out of the way and enjoy. And, and, you know, it turned out to be that. And some of it, you know, I I think just the defenses were able to really clamp down on it. And I don't know what more the defense can do. Right. I I mean, they they still were given some short fields. They still were around midfield. I mean, if you look at it, and you mentioned all the the field position, but for them to only get, um, you know, the last touchdown – out of that, and and they forced an uh, an INT and a punt out of the rest of that. I mean, to me, just a a, a tremendous job. Now, Karan Lentz was in a trail position on maybe the best play Furman ran all day, which was their their touchdown pass. He still had tight coverage. He still was all over him. So I don't know that that was particularly a bad effort there. And then again, the 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 jump ball. I mean, those are really two of the biggest plays um, of the game as far as defensive. And then the ETSU didn't come down with really what ended up being a jump ball on the out and up uh, to Jamal Couch. Other than that, I mean, that seems to be the three or four plays, and I think Coach said so much in the postgame. So 
I was asked post game by a couple of people, you know, going over to soccer. They're just like, oh, yeah, how'd football go? And my instant reaction was, and maybe this is simplifying it too much, but we just don't have a passing game. That was my response to summarize it in one sentence. Am I making it too simple? And keep in mind, these conversations are kind of in passing, right? It's not like you're going to sit there and break it down like we break it down 20, 25 minutes. You know, you don't have time for that, right? But you had the Jamal couch. You mentioned there was the out and up. And I know, you know, on the broadcast, you called it as underthrown. Got to make a better throw. And it was a little bit underthrown. Also looked like it hit Jamal couch in the hand. Both. I mean, it, it was it. Was it thrown where it should have been? No. Should have should it still have been caught? Yes. Uh, both guys should be a little accountable for that because it was set up beautifully. Uh, they've been setting it up all game. Called it at the right time. Shocking that Jamal got by the cornerback so bad that the cornerback didn't eat a penalty there, which I thought, looking back at it, I was like, man, I don't know how he didn't. Uh, but because the ball's underthrown, the cornerback was able to make up ground and at least throw off Jamal Couch. But you, you got to make – I mean, you're a D- Division One player, and it hits you in both hands, and there wasn't a whole lot going on. So, yes, I think he needed to catch it as well. I think it's equal blame. And then you got the interception from Trey. I think it was just, what, two plays later? Yeah, and that was a um, – and that was just a – you know, in all honesty, I think Coach said it, that, that's probably the worst decision he's made since he's been the quarterback in, in two and a half. I mean, just misread the safety, should have went for the middle route, or he had a guy in the flat either way. Um, he chose the the wrong of three receivers that were on the right side. So I guess the overarching question just has to be, is that the issue right now? Or is it just, and Coach Sanders said this post game. he said he thought a lot of offensive strides were made, and he thought that you just have to win the close games, quote-unquote. And, and that's and, and what last year I mean, came down to as that's well. That's what I was going to say. I mean, they're not that far off from no, what they were no, last year. Uh, they've had, obviously, Austin Herring had more production throwing the ball down the field. But in the same token, they're exactly in the same spot they were last year in a, a three-point game with VMI, um, in a you know a, a one-score game with Furman. I mean, they're almost right. in the exact same spot. You know, I think the the way the game plan was and the way Furman kind of schemed it is for ETSU to win that game. Trey Mitchell was eighteen of twenty-eight, which isn't all that bad, but I think he needed to be twenty-three of twenty-eight or twenty-four of twenty-eight because of how the throws were. The other thing is, let's be honest, there have been plenty of drops. Um, uh, you know, and, and Trey hasn't necessarily put the ball in the right spot every time to some receivers, but there have been plenty of drops, especially going back to that VMI game. That's part of the passing game. Though. That's right, it is. But but I think it's a shared. Oh um, yeah, no one's. I'm not saying right. Trey Mitchell has to be better. Yeah, I'm but when, when you say game passing game, I think the first thing people go to is quarterback play, and it's hard not to automatically go there. But I think it has just been equally. Everyone is not afraid of any of the passing attack that that ETSU has had. Um, and the impressive thing is because Furman and Austin P have both been pretty good against the run, and Furman more than Austin P stacked the box against the Bucs, and ETSU still able uh, to run the ball going right at them. Now, I think they did a good job. I thought it was interesting because we were kind of curious about the wide sort of outside run game, and then I thought Coach brought it up that, you know, something we didn't pick up on is that Furman was able to set the edges and really kind of push people back in. And that's really Furman – really ran and going back and watching a little bit of it they really went out of the way to not play the ball carrier to get to the outside to push them back in because Furman is not really big defensively they're unlike Wofford where Wofford is big and strong up front Furman is more about speed and gang tackling and so their game plan was to force those guys in and a couple times the Bucks did bounce it outside you're looking at 23 26 yard runs from Quay Holmes 
And that's, I guess, where I get to the point of, you know, is the passing game because I can say plenty of good things about the running game. You know, Quay Holmes, uh, even when you're putting seven, eight, nine in the box sometimes, they're still able to run the ball more often than not. Uh, defense, I mean, you can sing their praises all day long. Now, there, there's some special teams things, no question. Um, again, we mentioned kind of the poor Garrett Taylor punt. He's a freshman, right? He's not going to hit everyone 40 to 45 yards, had a couple of 34-yard punts. I think he's done overall a pretty good job so far. Um, it, it almost seemed to me like that Jamal Couch play was kind of a microchasm of the season, at least so far. You have the out and up, you have a chance, and because, <clears throat> excuse me, of a couple of maybe things combined or, uh, you know, depending on who you want to look at in that situation, one thing, but it certainly it seemed, did seem like a combination. I'll, I'll back you up on that. It, things just didn't quite work out. You had a chance you weren't able to make a play and you can look back on that one thing and who knows what happened after that of course but if I'm to point to a moment in the game aside from the 40-yard pass from Granger to DeLuca that put them in scoring position to me it's that missed opportunity and you've heard coach Sanders talk about it a lot it just seems like guys will do things right 68 to 70 plays and then there's those two plays where they don't and so those two plays end up making the difference, whether it be an offensive lineman, running back, wide receiver, quarterback. So that, to me, defined so far how things have gone for the Bucs, where last year it seemed like when there was a play to be made, someone made it. Like Coach Sanders said, doesn't, game, doesn't play, game, game doesn't care who makes the play, so go make it. That's what it seemed like the mantra was and guys really bought into last year and were able to go do that, where this year it just doesn't seem that way. And, you know, last year every sort of, 50-50 play and league play that had to go ETSU's way went their way. And so far this year, it hasn't. So then throw in even the Furman so, play with Granger to DeLuca. Agree. Another 50-50. I, I, I think all those 50-50 plays just sort of always seem to work out for ETSU. And maybe not early in games, but certainly late in games it, it happened. I'm sure at some point in time, somebody got a good bounce um, in the first half or something. But it seemed like once you got to that fourth quarter, you know, just I don't know if it was the will to win because I think you do make your own breaks. Uh, I thoroughly believe in that, that it's not gifted to you. You don't luck into everything if you win eight or nine, ten football games. I, th- I think you've certainly earned that those wins. And, and I think Furman and VMI earned their wins versus ETSU because they made their own breaks. But I think there there are some of those breaks that do go your way in those scenarios. And so I think that's just the, the difference so far they haven't. Now, we could – speculate and try to figure out why they haven't gone their way but the simple fact of the matter is they just haven't gone their way and I think you know the VMI game you're you're you know a couple things here there go your way a couple third downs here and there you certainly could win I'm sure VMI's thinking you know maybe they could win by 17 if things went differently in their way I'm sure Furman's thinking they could have you know maybe not thrown that interception made a better decision gone up you know 14 there and, and kind of walked away with it a little better than what they did but you know, ETSU's just going to have to go back to the drawing board and try to figure out what's going on and how to make those plays or how can we make a few more plays. Because they don't need to make, unlike, you know, VMI, you know, they only need to play about 10% better, honestly, and they win that game. You know, they played uh, a lot better against Austin P. They weren't clean, but they are able to win the game. Defensively, they played about as good a game as I think they may have played all season against Furman, and they just didn't have enough offense uh, and special teams. I think I think there is something to say that – that ETSU has, has played a couple special teamers that have really done a good job when punting from their 25 or 30 of booming a kick when needed to, to pin ETSU back. The other thing is is they have uh, eliminated Malik McGue. I think he only has one return um, you know, in the last three games. 
and so they would love to get him the ball to try to um, to make a play because he is so dynamic and I think coach said he's going to try to figure out a way how to get him more involved in the game plan as well all right so that'll do it we've uh, rambled on enough about that let's hear from head coach Randy Sanders after this time out here we're from San Jose sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network over the last 70 years Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on now we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Sanders and the sidekick back with you. Segment two here on this Monday. ETSU off uh, another heartbreaking loss this time to the Furman Paladin 17-10. Head coach Randy Sanders. I thought our defense played hard. I thought uh, had a bunch of guys running around. Uh, found a few things there, you know, and as this week went on, I think defensively looking at the plan and everything else, we really felt pretty good about what we, what we had planned. We felt pretty good about the matchups. We felt pretty good about Coming over here and playing them tough. I, I really believed that we would play better offensively. I'm really disappointed in that. The thing that we did do offensively in this game, and, and talking with Coach Taylor at half, he said the best thing you're doing is you, you, you're not going three and out. You know, you're making first downs. You, we won. I don't know how it ended up. But we, we managed to hang on to the ball. We, we moved the ball. We made first downs. The problem was we got field position to death again. It seemed like I don't know how many drives we started inside our 15 or inside our 20. Lord, it seemed like every one almost the second half. Offensively, we got to flip that. Defensively, we need to get a stop so that if we do get it back, you know, you're not getting it back on the 10-yard line. And you got to give them credit. They did a nice job. Their punter kicked that thing well, hung it up there. And, well, we got one punt return yard in three weeks now, something like that. It would be nice to be able to – get some things done that way defense played well offensively a lot of good things so offensively a lot of good things defense played well special teams he does still seem a bit annoyed with in a couple of aspects i can't think of a really huge special teams play that the bucks have had this year am i missing a glaring one i'm just thinking off the top of my head no i mean it's not there's been some okay kick returns i think the the punting and you know again keltner's field goal i mean you go back to vmi missed that one but i mean when called upon any other time, he's been able to yeah. punch all those through. kunak has been able to kick it through the end zone again after uh, losing his mind again in the VMI game. Boy, it's just a lot wrong in that VMI game. And um, and that one, I think, hurt worse maybe even Furman because you're playing a, you know, a top-10 FCS team. You're playing them on the road. They had the game circled. It's a seven-point. I mean, there's a lot of things why – that one's a little easier to, to, to swallow a loss. I don't think any loss is easy to, to take. But, I mean, I'm, Coach says that. I'm sitting there looking at the the drives, and there was only three, four drives over five plays, and one was six. So, I mean, I, you know, now I will say this, that there were a couple third down, because Furman only had three third down conversions, and two were on the last drive that milk uh, or salted the game away. Uh, they had a third down pass was third and 14 they completed and then they had a perfect defense call but I 
You know, I know he said that. But Hard time to blame the defense. I, it really I'm seems. just looking, and I mean, and again, he he's fresh off that where he hasn't been able to really go look at it and do a couple things. So so I'm I'm thinking it's maybe more. Maybe he hasn't gone back and taken a look at because sometimes you get coaches fresh off. That's why I like to ask first thing Wednesday on our coaches show, like, hey, you had an opportunity to look at the tape again. You know, wh- what were your thoughts now? And then that way. He can kind of, you know, he's had a lot of time to digest what's happened. And there's there's several times that, that him and other coaches I've had to talk with, even with C- Coach Forbes and um, Coach Ezell, Coach uh, Bartow, Torbush, whoever it's been, they've been able to go back and go, well, you know, after I looked at it, really, here was this. And, and so you're asking right after the game to sort of make a snap judgment call. But I think it, it's very hard to say. I know as an offensive guy, too, you're like, man, let's just you know, let's make a play. Let's get him back. Let's return. And then sometimes it just doesn't happen. I know that in segment one, I kind of took the Bucks to task for a lot of things. But overall, I'm actually very encouraged by the result. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's a loss. And it's frustrating, I think, when you have those opportunities and those chances and just ill-timed mistakes, right? Like, again, the Jamal Couch one is a perfect example of that. Just ill-timed mistakes. Garrett Taylor's 34-yard punt, ill-timed because Furman got it at the 49. You happen to kick that punt when you're already backed up. Right, you can't boom the fifty-yarder and the consistency, especially when you're across from Grayson Atkins. Yeah, it's going to stand out because Grayson Atkins is probably the best kicker in the FCS. I mean, he doesn't only kick field goals; he punts, he does kickoffs. So you're always going to be behind the eight ball there. Overall, did a good job, just ill-timed, right? But overall, without those ill-timed mistakes, I mean, you could move a thirty-four-yard punt to the middle of the first quarter when you've gotten the ball to the fifty, and all of a sudden it's not a big deal, right? You can move that Jamal Couch out and up down the left side to the middle of the second quarter, and we're not focusing on it as much. I mean, and if you just look at the numbers, uh, Atkins had five punts for an average of 43 yards. Yep. His long was 48 and three inside the 20. Garrett Taylor had six punts, 38 yards, 46 long, one inside the 20. But again, Atkins is punting more towards midfield. And was able. the one time they did a nice job, which I think was on the um, – uh, the scoring drive that led to the to the field goal. I have to go back and look it up, but that's where uh, the Bucks stopped Furman. Uh, Atkins had his long punt of forty eight and hung it up long enough that McGue had to make a fair catch call, so he couldn't return it. ETSU lost two or three yards. Then the punt was only uh, right around thirty five yards, uh, and then uh, I may have been the touchdown that ended up winning the game actually. And, and so when when that punt happened there, well, instead of them having the ball, they being Furman at around their 30-yard line. Now they've got the ball at the 45, and then they go in and score. So it was a 15, 16. So there's a lot of things we talk about, hidden yardage that people don't pay attention to. And just the fact that Furman was able to get a first down and then get a big punt, and then ETSU lost yardage and then didn't have a, a good a punt as Furman did because Taylor's kicking out of the back of his own end zone. And, you know, you don't have time to sit there and look at it sometimes. You need to hurry up and get rid of it. So I, I think all of that plays into um, – all those factors that, that, that went into that. But, it, again, it's just some small special team plays here and there that ETSU just haven't been able to, to get going for. And to give the punt return a bit more credit than Coach Sanders did, looking back now, it's one yard in the last two weeks. He did have Malik McGee two punt returns for 30 yards against VMI. So it's not as dire as Coach indicated. But uh, clearly, again, I think he's just looking for, okay, it's clear right now that we can't hit the deep passing game. You know, it's almost a little bit like, uh, to bring the NFL here for a second, we'll talk more about it in bold predictions, but Adam Thielen, after the Vikings game yesterday against the Bears, 16-6 uh, to loss, I think the final was, he kind of vented some frustration, just said, look, you got to hit the deep ball. 
and there were a couple chances in that game where they almost did, and there were for the Bucks too where they almost did, and just couldn't do it. The game changes completely when you have that big play factor, and right now ETSU doesn't seem to have it in the deep passing game. They're doing everything they can on the on the ground in the running game. They're hitting you know twenty plus yard runs as you mentioned, a couple of them for Quay Holmes. Jacob Saylor's had a couple that were nearly 20 yards the week before and ones that could have been even bigger, certainly. Though I do look back to and now thinking about Coach's comments and what we talked about last week with the Austin P game, turning some of those 15, 20-yard runs into really big plays. Yeah, ETSU got 23 and 26 from Quay Holmes, but aside from that, I mean, that's 49 of your how many yards? 290? So you weren't able to... Not to one better that either. If you add the kicking yards, the, both those guys combined for 201 of the 290. All-purpose. If you look at all-purpose yards, they had 201. Um, now, that doesn't count as total offense, but 201 yards, so total offense was 290. If you look at Sailors and Holmes adding kick yardage and all the other stuff, they, they had 201. And again, it, it, it's still relative to what you said because total offense, but they had combined 200 yards So, uh, so again, again, those two. Yes, exactly. Making such I was trying a, to help your point. Yeah, no, I may, no, no, I may right, have right, confused right. somebody. But I was trying to help your point. Right, that, that they're doing so much of it where the long passing game isn't there. So I think Coach Sanders is kind of looking for, okay, where else can we make big plays? And the kicking game is one, right? He emphasizes special teams. I mean, what was it, a couple of weeks ago, he pointed out, like, what were there, 34 special teams plays? And you hear that and you're like, oh my gosh, like, that is a lot of special teams plays. Like, you, know, you don't focus on it enough knowing that it's, what, I mean, how many plays are there in a game if you look at both sides? Uh, it depends. I mean, a game like VMI. You would take 100. Yeah, well, and, and but. I mean, and in this VMI, game, it was less. Look at the because. VMI game, and it was like 190 if you oh, include yeah, special yeah, yeah, teams. Yeah, yeah. So it's a bit different there. So it is a bit subjective. But when there's that many, it just does not get enough attention. So anyway, uh, I think that's where the special teams piece comes in. Here's more from Coach Sanders. We've tried to instill the attitude that football is a physical game. It's a contact game. It's a collision game. If you win the most collisions, usually you win the football game. And we're trying to make it a physical game. We don't beat them up in practice, but we expect a certain level in practice. And what we expect of the offense, defense, the guys that have responded, I feel like right now we're a much faster, more physical football team than we were at this same time last year, even though the the record is much different. You know, we, we got to find a way to make the plays. Last year, it seemed like every close game, we found a way to make a play to win. And this year, in the close games, we're one and two. So we we gotta find a way to win win the close games. That's where that kind of we just gotta find a way, and, and that's so gray, right? It's not black or white. It's not boy, we could have done this, or boy, we could have done this. And that's why we we try and do that time and again is to look at the Jamal Couch play and look at the interception from Trey Mitchell and look at the forty yard from Darren Granger to Ryan DeLuca. Those are the big plays. Those are the black and white things. That's what ETSU could have done, but. In terms of winning games late, a lot of times it is gray, right? There's not a set formula where you can say, okay, I'm going to flip this switch, and all of a sudden we can win our close games. It's a, I think a lot of people look at it as toughness, uh, veteran, accountability, leadership, those kind of things in terms of, like, you know, captains on the field type stuff. That's what a lot of people turned to last year when ETSU won all those close games. Well, you had a bunch of guys together that were here for the right reasons. You know that they love the program, and they just wanted to win. But that's so great. You know, you, you can't just point to something and be like, all right, well, that's what's going to win us games this year because that is a special chemistry that you don't get every year. Well, and I think or pe- any year, people still – it's hard to lose in the fact because there's so many names you recognize out there that still 64% of the roster is a freshman or a redshirt freshman. 59 of the 105. There you go. So it's just hard to, to I think – put that in you know you think about it, and there were you know 53 or some odd 
seniors or guys that were four years that were either redshirt junior, a four-year senior, or a redshirt senior. You start on last year's squad. I mean, it was just incredible the amount of people that were there. The other thing is I I think it's lost upon. There were, I think Coach Sanders said it a couple Wednesdays ago, that you know there were a lot of guys that saw playing time that, that did not see playing time anymore. But those guys didn't sulk. They became coaches on the sideline. Dylan Dockery became a, a, an extra coach as a tight end, talking to tight ends when they come off the field. Corey Colder, who oh, I don't even know if he carried the ball at all. Uh, just He ended up being famous because he wore that blue hat on the sideline. But he would talk to the running backs. You know, the two freshmen that took his job. He would be like, hey, guys, you know, here you go. What you're seeing is what you're doing. It's what you got to do in this. this. is how you blitz pick up. I mean, all those guys, defensive guys that weren't playing anymore, Keanu James in the secondary would talk to the guys, hey, here's what I'm seeing. And so those guys became more coaches on the sideline. And so there was a little more of that. Now those guys are freshmen. Heck, they're just trying to figure out what's going on. You, you know, you, everybody that has experience is playing. You know, so you don't have some extra things going on on the sideline to kind of uh, talk to people. It's interesting to see adversity. I think this year is going to be a little up and down. We've seen it so far. I mean, it wouldn't shock me at all that ETSU – uh, finally beats Wofford this week and then maybe goes on the road and struggles at Chattanooga, who they've had their, you know, the couple tight games with this year. And then maybe come back home and beat Citadel, who's just can't seem to win a tight game unless it's Georgia Tech. But uh, it's amazing to, to, to see the difference. But I think there is a huge difference in stuff that goes on on the sidelines that you just don't know or see. And, again, all the quarterbacks – I mean, even Logan Marshall, I mean, he had played a lot. You know, you're talking about Chance Thrasher had played very sparingly, you know, at Coastal, obviously just a half game or a couple quarter and a half for ETSU. Cade Weld never even saw the field. The um, Tyler Rydell and a few other freshmen have yet to see the field. And then you got Trey Mitchell, who basically redshirted last year and sat on the sideline, redshirt sophomore, if I'm not mistaken. And But he's only played two games. I think there's a lot going on there that – that uh, you can easily make a case for this is why that. Now, again, it's not popular. It's not people don't want to hear it. You just want results. Like, you know, we're right. fans, you get that. And they've been right there to get those results. Now, the same token, it looks like this team is built very well for the future. And I'm not certainly closing the book on this year because, they, you know, the way this league is, you could win six in a row, Absolutely. get another share of the title, and, and who knows, maybe you got a shot at the playoffs or, or a shot of beating Vandy and ending the year on a high note that way. But – you know, not closing it, but I mean, the, it's really built next couple years. They're, they're they're going to be really good for a few years to come. Forty three of the one hundred two on the roster last year, redshirt juniors, seniors, or redshirt seniors, and then that's flipped, and then some this year. So that's a lot. maybe it is experience, maybe it is veteran leadership, maybe it is guys that have been around and want it. You know, maybe it's not just hyperbole because I think when you hear those kind of quote unquote cliches of these are the reasons, the ones that I just named, that you know you win the close games. And people are like, oh, well, you know, okay, but, like, you know, what about the things that led to it, like the plays, the black and white as opposed to the gray? But you look at these numbers for ETSU, and maybe that is the case, and you make a good point. I mean, Austin Herrick was on the field, what, 40 of the 44 games that ETSU played, started 41 of the 44 or whatever it was. And Matt Pike was, you know, his guy. He said last week in the podcast 30,000 snaps they put they took together that they mm-hmm. estimated over their time at ETSU. I mean, there's tons of experience there. There's a lot of guys that are prepared for anything on the field they, that know what losing is like and are just sick of losing and want to win. That's last year. This year, maybe it's just not the case. And keep in mind, you're down to your third-string quarterback, and he's still trying to figure it out. So while we're talking about all of these win-now type things, like you said, 
and overall, I'm, again, very happy with the result from this past Saturday because I think going in, there were a lot of people both inside the walls and outside the walls that looked and said, well, this is probably the league favorite we're going to. Now, they didn't show out very well in the stands, which certainly helped. I think they reported the crowd at like 5,000, and from what it sounded like from your broadcast, <laughs> it was a little bit heavy on that number. Yeah, 5,000. Yeah, exactly. That's so, that's it, so that's nice to not have had that. But to go on the road, regardless, you're always on the road. Things are just different. To go there and keep it as close as they did for many – that's a very encouraging result, and, and me as well. But Trey Mitchell's in his, what? I mean, how many game snaps has he taken? You know, a couple hundred now? I mean, it's not 30,000 snaps with Matt Pike. <laughs> you know, so he's, he needs a little bit more time to adjust and figure it out and, and, you know, find his place and find his way and get comfortable, I think. So, yeah, we want results now, and that would be great. I think you and me are fans to a certain extent as well. You know, it would be great to have at the moment. But the fact that you're in these tight games, have a chance to win late, and like you said, things can flip on a dime in this league. You could go and win your last six. Look at Furman last year. They won six of their last seven when their season looked to be over. So everything's still up in the air, I think. A lot of takeaways, both positive and negative, from this last game. Unfortunately, a loss, but another chance for one this week. So while you're uh, talking about that, I added up. There was 118 offensive plays. Yeah. There, there were an additional 22 special teams plays. So that's 140 total. That's 15.6% of the game. That's a big uh, th- portion. It, it, you know, and I didn't even think it was that high. And this yeah. was a game that didn't, you know, because if you add in, and, and to get to that, that, that includes your punts, your kickoffs, your extra points, and your field goals. And you're going to have more in higher scoring games. That's right. Uh, there's more opportunities for that, maybe not in punts, but there's other areas that's going to come into play. But, you know, 20 to 25, 30 special teams plays is, is a lot higher than really what, what you think it is when you talk about hidden yardage and, and some other things that, that can happen. Because penalty yardage is what really killed ETSU net VMI game from the special team. Right. So, all right, that's a look at uh, Furman. We'll try to let's clean things up a bit. Shall yeah, we? let's just uh, clean our palate of that. Let's talk uh, pros versus Jays. Right after this time, out Santa's sidekick of the Wagoneer Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Pros. Buckle up for Kobe Kobe Bryant just sucked the gravity out of the target center. What a pass. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! In your life have you seen anything like that? In the deep left center for Mitchell. And we'll see you tomorrow. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. In a year that has been so the impossible has happened. Edmonds hit 42 home runs during the regular season. And we are going to Game 7 in the National League Championship Series. out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. He's going to go into the Bears. The Bears have won. The Bears have won. Versus Jays. I need a shower. I'm very glowy and happy for this segment, per the usual. It's always sad the first couple segments Monday when 
we don't get a W. You know, so it can be a bit of a downer. But well, for there's me, it's always the first three. That the first, three uh, first four. Well, for all you, of Monday. All of Monday is going to be Monday bad for me. Monday for you is bad. Not great. I, once segment three and four it's comes garbage. around, I'm usually pretty yeah. happy. Now, you're going to like it this week because it actually starts out very good for you. This was an incredible five minutes on the coach's show this past week. We usually do something during game action and all, but I just could not ignore the brilliance, then lack thereof, then almost confrontational type way that uh, Coach Sanders and yourself went about a certain subject. It was lighthearted still. It wasn't like you're actually going to come to blows or it was anything where he was actually blaming you for a certain thing that we'll find out in just a second. Uh, But there was a moment where I really thought you were a mad genius. The history firm in ETSU, and of course it doesn't matter because every game is is separate, but ETSU only two wins in 17 trials in Greenville. 1979 was a win. 1997 was the second win. That 97 win had a lot of similarities to last year. Bucks were down 28 to 10 in that. Uh, eventually, at halftime, it was 28-17. At the end of the third quarter, it was down 28-24. And then, with 8:30 to go in the contest, they took the lead at 31-28. And then, with 3:39 to go, they tacked on 28 more points. And instead of being down 28-24, they won 58-28. The reason I bring that up is because the all-time leading rusher just put in the Hall of Fame, uh, Brandon Walker. The second all-time leading rusher was Brian Edwards. Those guys combined for four touchdowns. And I bring up a couple similarities for this. ETSU's bread and butter back then was clearly the two running back system. This year it seems like the two running back system. Also, 1979-1997, there's a nine. It's 2019. <laughs> I've got you a win right there. Book All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the best part of it is Coach, his head is spinning, I'm sure, like mine was. I, I could follow some he had, of that. He had tuned me out. First of, all, <laughs> first of all, he had clearly tuned me out. He's drinking sweet tea. Yeah. Right, he's drinking a sweet tea, staring at somebody's tater tots. Yeah. And all he tuned back in for was I said, book it, we're winning. And then he's like, whoa, whoa hey, whoa. And that's about what I did, it's like, too. It's like pump the brakes. Can you go back through that again? Because I, I'm not sure that you could deliver that as succinctly, clearly, or – Almost nonsensically, but made sense the entire time as he did that time on the coach's show. I mean, I could, but if we're going to kill five minutes if I do that, you want me to kill five minutes of the show? It was just. I remember the game all so vividly. over the place. But it was also in perfect symmetry. And then there was like a Rockefeller, like uh, Illuminati type moment at the end, too. I mean, there was I a kinda, lot going on there. I kind of felt like at one point, Harry Carey, where you're down eight runs, and he's like, you know, if you load the bases, hit a grand slam, you're down four, load them again, hit them, boy, we're back in this thing. <laughs> like, it almost felt like at some point I went, I, I, I kind of channeled that, minus the, minus the uh, whiskey. I think, well, are you sure it was? Okay, well, I suppose that's uh, So I really tuned you out for a lot of that as well. But then as you, the last as as I tuned myself up for. Then the last ten seconds, I was just like, "I think I'm into it. I, th- I think he's got me. I think we're going to go and win." Now, you did say what was it, fifteen of seventeen that we lost mm-hmm. at Palin Stadium? Yes. So let's also just throw that into segments one and two. That part of the conversation, like very difficult to win there, despite the fact that there was seemingly no one in the stands on Saturday. Uh, but that was very impressive to get from one point to another. That was just one minute. It felt like forever, but it was just one minute and came with a lot of incredible stats some good really bringing the two things together the time periods based off things that go on on the field and then you also had the weird conspiracy with the nine so that was great too then there was this moment just a couple of uh, minutes later where you ruined it all i think that's the first time i've ever actually discussed captains before uh game time it's probably the first time i've asked you well, I'd say if it's the first time I've ever discussed it, it's probably the first time you've ever asked. <laughs> Scintillating radio, undoubtedly. And my 
theory on that is that you really just gave your all to the previous soundbite. You had proved yourself to be now, a that, bad that genius, was a and question, then you just let it go. That was a question from the crowd. The crowd had actually brought up a note, somebody from the crowd, and said, hey, who are the captains? So I'm a man of the people. <laughs> I ask and beg for questions so I can give coach so I don't have to talk to an hour and make up stuff like you just heard. Hey, rambling for a minute. That's a brilliant but, minute. But the, the question came from the crowd. He was so almost appalled by it, and I was like, <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't. We've never talked about it because a, it's never entered my mind. Actually, I thought he would say we haven't, we haven't named him yet because he he doesn't. You know, they don't name. Uh, there's a lot of teams that name for the year. Right. There's teams that do a week to week. That seems to be you're one or the other. There's no in between. And so um, I, I think that was more of a, I think Coach Torbus actually the first couple games would name different ones, and then somewhere mid-year the team would vote on the captains for the rest of the year. Mm. I think so. So I said that, and I guess Coach Torbus did it differently. But I, I just it was kind of funny that, and I, now that I know that, I probably won't ask that again because he obviously <laughs> didn't want to discuss who the captains are. Well, th- it's because I think he hasn't told them. I don't think he tells them until Thursday or Friday. I don't think any of our players are listening to our coaches' show. I, I, so I would be shocked if they are, but um, I'm just assuming that he just would rather tell the guy. One of those things you want to tell the guys first before you tell everybody else. There were a few moments early in the show, too, where you – I don't know if you caught him off guard with a couple questions, but there was that deep sigh that you get from Coach Sanders. And I wasn't watching the Facebook live stream because I was back here, but I don't know if he shot you a look just like – what are you doing to me? Or so that was very interesting well, too early in the show. Was that the one where he said thanks for the heads up? There, there was that one, and there was uh, one other early in the show where I was just like, well, it, it doesn't seem like they're and, on the same page as that. So I, when I talk game plan stuff, and uh, I'll give it away, but most most people before you ask a game plan thing, you generally say, hey, I'm going to ask you this during a break, and it came right out of a break. I said, I'm going to ask you this. I want to talk about that. Would you like me to phrase it a certain way? Would you like me not to say? And I didn't ask him any of that. I just went right at him. <laughs> and I think I think that that caught on guard because I've generally always been courteous about that. So that was another. I made two or three notes on my paper from the show that I haven't had to make any notes on. Early with Coach Sanders, you you make a lot okay. He wants to talk about this. He want these are the type of questions he likes, doesn't like. This is what he would rather be. You know, whatever. So you kind of learn to to sort of have a nice little song and dance that flows better as opposed to being combative and there was a couple of them that yes you're right it seemed a little unhappy to me it was great radio but for you sitting there i'm sure it wasn't nearly as fun yeah well, he's uh, not looking at you so. that's ex- that's exactly right so maybe because of all those moments it came to the point where you clearly were responsible for all the world's evils including this our they're, fans they're, are great fans nothing huh? better i don't know how y'all dropped football for 12 years up here were you part of that which, I mean, I was here. I congratulations. <laughs> so you get the congratulations for <laughs> dropping football, Jason. Just, just play that again. Our they're, fans they're, are great fans. Nothing huh? better. I don't know how y'all dropped gold football on for 12 side. years up here. Were you part of that? Which, I mean, I was here. Congratulations. <laughs> congratulations to you. You are the reason that football was not a thing for 12 years here, Jay Sandos. Yeah, I single-handedly ate that one for the rest of the community, apparently, or, or the university's decision, I guess. Uh, it was, it's on uh, you. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I want to talk to him How later. I, I want to say, what well, was I supposed to? Because there were a lot of people, and I wanted to ask him because there was a lot of people that I just got on full time about two weeks before they said they were going to drop it. And there were a lot of people that would be like, "Well, I can't believe you're still working here. Why wouldn't you quit getting another job?" And I'm like, well, "Why don't you quit your job and go do something else if you don't like what your job did?" Like, it's really easy to tell somebody to do that, right? But uh, every once in a while, you need a paycheck, and now you know, love the university and all that, and. Yeah, what a decision. I certainly did not make the decision, but it was was kind of funny that he was pretty much over the uh, show at that point. How does it feel to know that because of you, ETSU could have 
a ton of FCF's national championships and be FBS right now instead of Appalachian State. How well, what feel? I wanted to tell Coach Sanders was you're welcome because by me doing that, we brought him back and he became the head coach. So He could have been the head coach in like 2006 yeah, I don't think he and we'd have national championships. I don't so. think he would have. Okay, well, yeah, you can say that to help yourself sleep at night, but this is on your shoulders. Okay. Uh, in terms of the pro this week, and the reason I am going to choose this is because maybe some misplaced blame, perhaps, from Coach Sanders. Maybe. I'm not saying yes or no. Coach Sanders clearly has his opinion on you it. You weren't around here, so you're not sure. Exactly, I'm not sure. And I'm just taking it. people's words for it. And a powerful person around here is Randy Sanders. I'm inclined to believe the power. Uh, Skip Bayless, who has made a career of, how would you term it? Hot takes? Yes. Uh, he's probably the original of, I'm going to go out on a limb and just say the most outlandish thing. Just to get people going. That's right. And he's made a career off of it. Which Millions. You have to be impressed with. I mean, you can be mad if you want, but don't hate the player, hate the game is how it usually goes in that saying. And for Skip Bayless, I'm sure he'd tell you the same. Uh, he blamed in the offseason uh, LeBron James for his lack of sleep. And I'll give you the quote here from, I believe what was I mean, a, I'm sorry, Skip Bayless is blaming LeBron James for his lack of for sleep. For his lack okay, of sleep, go ahead. yes. Uh, Sports Business Journal had an article, and this is quoting Skip Bayless. Every evening I call our showrunner, Azzy McKenzie, and I just spill out to him as quickly as possible. I thought that was a gal, Azzy. Uh, as possible, these 15 topics with my cliff notes on each. We go back and forth on which ones would be the best topics. Meanwhile, I'll continue to watch whatever games are and prep because now I know pretty much that these are the topics. The late games are killers now that LeBron is in the West. They tip off at like 740, and they're not going to finish until, say, 10 o'clock. Well, I'm going to get up at 2 o'clock. So you can imagine how it's played havoc with my home life and my sleep time. Otherwise, I usually try to get to sleep by 9. So he's only adding one hour. This is almost the crazy yeah, Jay old. Sandoz. Told. This is almost the crazy he's Jay old. Sandoz conspiracy theory Illuminati type thing together. So he's saying all these numbers and things. And then he gets to the point of, you know, if LeBron wasn't here, I'd be getting one extra hour of sleep. So that would be five instead of four. And he also feels the need to get up at 2 a.m. And I'll go ahead and give you a schedule from this same article, Sports Business Journal. Monday through Friday at 2 a.m., my workday begins. I set three alarms, and I've never needed the second two. That's so Skip Bayless, isn't it? You're a hero. I don't love it, but I don't think about it. If I do, it starts to wear on me. But I love my job so much, I just accept that this is part of the necessary evil. Which, by the way, it isn't. Because he takes the first 20 minutes to stretch while he's usually reading his phone, scouring for overnight stories. Then he eats one protein bar, runs upstairs to where he has a little exercise room. I watch the overnight highlights. Sometimes I'll watch ESPN. That's a no-no. 3.20 a.m., I always run for one hour as soon as I finish. I literally jump off and run down the stairs because I'm barely going to make it to our meeting. I go in the kitchen first. The night before, I lay out 20 vitamins that I always take and take those while I get a protein shake and one bottle of Propel. Name drop. I also throw a blueberry bagel in the microwave for 30 seconds, and that's going to be my breakfast. And then at 4.05, I only live about five minutes from the studio. We meet at 4 and throw the board together, the best 10 topics for my partner Shannon Sharp and I, the 10 best authentic debates. A lot of that has been planned the night before, and it usually takes until 4.30 to plot out the whole board. So he's blaming LeBron James. When do they go on? Huh? Like, when does that show air? 6.30 Pacific, 9.30 Eastern. So... There's so a bunch still, of things wrong with this. He's still got two more hours. He's got two hours from 4.30 to 6.30. He also has spent his first two hours doing things he could do after work. How much makeup does he does well, is being I'll, put on there? I'll show you a picture here. I no, mean, you do you have to show me? It's a lot. Well, no, I'm, I'm just, uh, I mean, because again, I mean, caked. you have to, 
I mean, you got to go through that. That's part of the deal. But I'm just wondering, if they already have most of the topics and they spend only 20 minutes sort of like, here's the deal. Right. So from 4.30 to 6.30, you can't eat your bagel or protein chip. Here's the deal. Most of those places have cafeterias and stuff that you, at, when you make millions, you can just look at some runner. Yes. And look at him and say, I want my protein shake right, right. here. So I mean, it's clearly what, what I've done to Mike Gallagher. People don't know that. But yeah. there's a lot of times my chai latte is sitting right here. Blueberry bagels are constantly flowing through the door thanks to me. But what about the previous two hours? Like two to four. So you live five minutes from the studio. and So I think, I think basically what I've learned about Skip Bayless is that it's hard. he's a creature of habit. He's very and, regimented, and, and, doesn't and he? And it's hard to break. So there are people I know that are like that that is very – regimented in their deal and they just they they if he were to break that it would literally he'd crumble he, he would yes it would be a tailspin for a week or two like he would just not be able um to do all that i did enjoy the three alarm clock story though i only need never needed the next two yeah i just that's <laughs> you're amazing you know he doesn't I worship he also doesn't Taylor. follow anybody on twitter you know that right oh because why would he because he is the demigod of sports media just ask him i'm sure he'll tell you so there are a lot of things going on there but it is lebron james's fault that he wastes four hours in the morning that he otherwise could save for after work i, I still don't know what he does from 4 30 to 6 30 but from two to four why not slide so, those two hours to say 9 30 to 11 30 well, right and, the show and he's up. also basically just said there was no reason ever to watch anything on the west coast ever in the history of the world until LeBron went out there. So as much as he hates LeBron, he's basically giving LeBron credit for the whole West Coast existence even being worthy. Right. That, and he also needs to too. watch every single minute of his Well, he, he can't because go every single day he's saying that LeBron is the worst player of all time. So he's got to pick apart he, flaws. Yeah, and this is where like Max Kellerman and all these other guys have gotten a job because then it's popular to pick the most, the, you know, the most dominant athlete and then just try to bring out every flaw and say that they are not good. In every sport. And he does it in every sport. It's not just doing that uh, with them. So you're responsible for ETSU football going away for 12 years, and LeBron James is responsible for Skip Bayless missing sleep. That sounds about right. Pros versus Jays. All right, there you go. Sandin' sidekick, bold predictions after this on Buccaneer Sports Network. ETSU fans, there is no more entertaining way to spend your Wednesday nights than with the human soundbite reel, Randy Sanders. It's big boy football. The Buccaneer head coach joins Jay Sandos live at Wild Wing Cafe every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. And if you can't make it to downtown Johnson City to have chicken wings and tater tots with coach, you can listen right here on AM640. All fall long, ETSU head football coach Randy Sanders, Wednesday nights. What time is it anyway? 6 p.m. on the Sports Monster. Everyone in the stadium and across the NFL world is aware that quarterback Andrew Luck decided to retire. Antonio Brown ditches practice again after another issue with his helmet. There is a code that has been broken here with Antonio Brown. He's just not a good human. But unless you've been living under a rock, you guys all know that the AAF is folded. Wide receiver Josh Gordon has been reinstated and is now eligible to return to New England. The great Bill Belichick keeps giving Gordon chances. Tennessee head coach Rick Barnes told reporters flat out, if UCLA had paid his buyout, he probably would be at UCLA now instead of at Tennessee. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. 
A simple wrong would have done just fine. Are you telling me Mike Greenberg has any type of sources that can outsource me in Knoxville? Are you kidding me? Come on, he's Greenberg. pretty big time. You're better than that. He's pretty big time. Clearly, he's wrong. I was right. Go ahead. Uh, I don't have much to say. Yep. All right. Except, Great show. Hit the hit the close. <laughs> Except we are going to go over all of these in painful amount of detail. Firstly, me, and let me just go ahead. And You're a genius. I am the smartest man alive. Indeed, he is the smartest man in the universe. I agree with that too. Fantastic. Glad we're all on the same page in bold predictions. Against Furman, ETSU's defense, which I predicted to hold the Paladins to 370 yards or less, which would have been 100 yards under their average for the year, 268. Yeah, 200 yards. That's incredible. That's pretty good. I mean, that's pretty good. That's a good call. ETSU's defense continues to That was more than a good amazing. call. That, I agree. You should hit the button again. I will give you this. You're a genius. Yeah, no, I am the that smartest man alive. He is the smartest man in yeah. the universe. That's hard, that's hard to... That's, that was hard to predict and hard to do. And probably and, and hard to, to do, do it and to predict. do it by and, and to do it by two hundred. Yeah, I mean that's in, insane. Which is yeah. why ETSU is in a lot yeah. of these games. That was and why one. we have to laud ETSU's defense every chance we yeah. get. You said Trey Mitchell would have a career high in yards and touchdowns. That would have been two fifty or more in terms of yards and three touchdowns is what his previous. He was, he was a little was. shy. Of both go. Yeah, he was. Uh, Washington State for me over Utah. I said Mike Leach is too good of a coach. Too good of a coach to let Washington State lose to Utah. This past week, and unfortunately, nailed it turns it. out he's not oh. too good of a coach. Thirty-eight to thirteen, it. Utah blew out Washington State. I believe Mike Leach post game said that his players are fat, dumb, and lazy. That was the post game quote from Mike Leach. If we were able to acquire a segment with Crazy Coach, and by the way, there is plenty of material for him. Uh, hopefully, we can get him on soon. Then that would certainly make it. Uh, Mike Leach was. In his own Mike Leach way, he was very reserved and calm, but he was clearly fired up because fat, dumb, and lazy, I believe, was the exact term that he used Washington State going down by 25 well, on the road. I, I, w- I wish Mississippi State's coach would have said that too. So Yeah, Mississippi State over Auburn. Boy, I they had two. Well, first of all, wow. uh, Auburn, I don't know why I even watched Stubborn, any of it. Stupid, uh, silly Because man. after the first five possessions, Auburn had 35 on the board. But Mississippi State, a couple of times – turned it over like inside the five or the one there was one time where mississippi state ran a beautiful uh sort of a uh almost a block and go with the tight end where he goes to the next level like he's going to block the linebacker and each stutter steps and takes off they hit him he gets tackled it looks like a touchdown the ref uh marks him down at the half yard line to go to the replay it was a great call by the official honestly and and i don't know if he guessed right or if he actually knew it but it, he was short and then sure enough mississippi state gets a procedural penalty and then they immediately turn it back over so even mississippi state thought they could get back into it it didn't so that was uh that wasn't good it wasn't good it was disgusting it was like a 40 point loss right it was 42 to 9 at the half yeah it was just a- when i think you couldn't possibly sure. be any dumber 56 to 23 the final it could just be the fact that mississippi state is terrible and you misplaced some I, I, did, I didn't i didn't believe in auburn and maybe i should just uh, believe in auburn bonix 16 to 21 335 and two touchdowns i didn't believe in florida maybe i should believe in florida because Towson, Towson, the, the Tigers. Tigers. Yeah. I was looking forward to My them keeping it within two touchdowns. Maybe I've been around you too long, or I've been around the FCS too long. I had some bias sneak into this pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Towson was shut out, thirty-eight to nothing by number nine Florida. And Kyle Trask only had two incompletions the entire day for Florida. Eighteen of twenty, one eighty-eight, and two scores. I said the only way that this could possibly go wrong for me, this bold prediction, is if Towson was hung up on. The loss to Villanova in overtime at home last week in a big FCS matchup. It also could go wrong for me, perhaps, if Tom Flacco is not Joe Flacco. 
and Tom Flacco is not Joe Flacco. And so I was in trouble there with zero points against Florida. Well, I, I thought you'd be in a lot of trouble if Florida got off to a great start in the first quarter, and they really didn't. No. They really did 17 not. 17 nothing that happened. I was yeah. like, ah. That's usually where, like, okay, you hang in there long enough, you, you get in there, but it did not um, – didn't go well in the second half. Uh, but it wasn't as bad as my uh, – other pick didn't go well for you at all in bold predictions this week though vmi was in the game yeah. for some of the time it was i just watched the first half there were a couple of little mistakes here or there but wofford did what a good team does they just made them i mean vmi didn't make many mistakes over 500 yards of offense they had over 200 yards rushing just from alex ramsey alone they did a lot well but literally every single mistake vmi made wofford just Stepped on their throat. Big plays for Wofford in the first half. Ryan Lovelace, 37-yard run for a touchdown. Damari Van Cleave, 41-yard pass from Joe Newman. And then T.J. Luther, probably the nail in the coffin of this bold prediction with 7.32 left in the second quarter, 71-yard pass from Newman to Luther to make it 35-10. to 10. So that's probably when you turned it off. VMI did come back before they have two touchdowns. Had to feel like they had momentum going into the second half. It was 35-24. to 24. And at that point, your bold prediction had some life. But uh, after that... You had a field goal and a touchdown from Wofford right out of the half, and it ended up being 51 Well, unfortunately, to I've got to make myself finish watching it because we play Wofford this week. So ah. I've actually cut it off at halftime so we can come down here and record the podcast. Good, good, so I will, good. I will jump back into the second good half. Good for you to relive. But Wofford doesn't know who they are again. 400-something yards rushing again. So that, that's the scary part. I wish they would have just um, – thought they were going to throw the ball and, I, and when they did throw the ball it was off the play action of the option i have two bold predictions correct you have one bold prediction correct i have pulled into the lead and it will not soon be relinquished jay sandos also again feeling good about oakland feeling good about cleveland in the nfl picks uh still feeling good about kansas city despite a scare against detroit still feeling good about new england despite a scare against buffalo uh there's a lot to feel good about this week very happy i feel good about it yeah Baltimore lost. Uh, I will AFC say this: North wild card. They lost to Cleveland at home. But but I did I did learn a lot that I think Detroit and Buffalo maybe for real. I know they they got to figure out how to win. They both should have beaten Kansas City and New England pretty handily, and both did not. So to be honest with you, I think they're going to be a tough out for teams as it goes. So I did learn a lot about that. Jacksonville's two and two. That's your they're AFC coming back, baby. Whatever division winner. Back in your sports network. See ya.